Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And I tested very positively in, a, in another sense. So this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So, no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning. Meaning, meaning I tested negative. I'm not a doctor. Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Thursday, January 28, 2021. You could be listening to this anytime, of course. That bit uh, that Dennis played at the top always cracks me up. That is, of course, uh, the man you elected president, uh, America, Donald John Trump, uh, talking about COVID-19 and getting tested. and uh, Just a great memory from uh, the Trump years. Anyway, uh, as I always do with bonus uh, interviews, I just give you a flavor of what's in the news of the day, what's what we're uh, talking about uh, the day of the interview and just as so i'll just pluck the new york times headline u.s extremists pose a threat agency warns more violence feared after capital attack that's kind of sort of related to what we're going to do today in our conversation uh so without further ado i'll ask my uh, distinguished guest to introduce himself and we'll start the conversation so distinguished guest introduce yourself Hello, um, this is Mark Carino. I'm a freelance journalist in Chicago for the Washington Post and some other publications. And uh, I believe this is Mark's third visit uh, to the Ben Jarofsky Show. I think uh, it is. Yes. Do I get a prize or anything? <laughs> Stuffed animal? Or? Yes, it's in the mail. All right, good. Uh, good. I, I, oh, you didn't? We give fees to our guests. Yes, $100 per appearance. You haven't gotten yours yet? Oh. Uh, no, it's not. No, it hasn't shown up yet. But, uh, you know, it's the, it's the mail's fault. It's the mail. Oh, yeah, let's blame it on the mail. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The first, I urge everybody to check them all out. Uh, the first one was a uh, tribute to John Prine. Uh, Mark loves John Prine even more than I do. And so it was just a great tribute based on a reader article he wrote. Uh, and then the second one is a, uh, was a lead into what we're going to talk about. Uh, Mark, as a uh, journalist, was in Kenosha, Wisconsin this summer um, when, uh, uh, well, Kyle Rittenhouse shot. I think I could say that, right? He shot. I don't have to say allegedly shot. Um, or should I say allegedly shot? Um, you can say shot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's on video. Yeah. I mean, you're not in a court of law, so that's okay. Yeah. All right. So he shot uh, three people, two of whom died. And uh, the story has been going on since then. Uh, Mark did a great job. I urge everybody to check out uh, that interview as well. We talked about he was there literally in Kenosha the night it happened. Um very powerful stuff, uh, and your writing's been outstanding, Mark. My hat's off to you. Great journalism for the Washington Post covering this. I thought what we might do is just sort of update everything uh, for our listeners. You know, what's the latest uh, since uh, Rittenhouse has been arrested? 
and um, become sort of a folk hero to people on the right. If you go through some of the names involved uh, uh, in this case, and by, then you could give us uh, descriptions of who the people are, and um, sure, uh, that'll act as a primer, a primer for all this. So here we go. Uh, we'll start at the top. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. So he's the talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. Go ahead. Okay. So Kyle Rittenhouse is, um, he just turned 18 actually. So he was 17 in late August, a uh, teenager from Antioch, which is near the Wisconsin border, uh, worked a job across the border um, near Kenosha. And over the summer, through a friend, had purchased a gun, a long gun, AR 15, I think. And, um, and then the night of the, uh, the, the the day after the shooting of Jacob Blake, uh, a black man in Kenosha by a police officer, which caught national attention because it was caught on video. <clears throat> there was a lot of destruction in downtown Kenosha the, the night after it happened. Uh, arsons, looting, just massive destruction. And so the next day, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse um, participated with a lot of volunteers in cleaning up a lot of the graffiti during the daylight hours. And then at night, he claims that a business owner asked him to guard his business, his mechanic shop. Um, so he retrieved the gun that he purchased through a friend from the friend's house. Uh, the friend lives in Wisconsin in uh, Kenosha. And during that time, late Tuesday night, uh, he ended up in sort of a melee where he ended up shooting um, three people and killing two. Mm, yes. Uh, he was 17 at the time, 18 now. Uh, and so he turned himself in, as I recall. Uh, yeah, I yeah. There's a lot of um, just stuff that's not sure that's out there. People talk about his mother drove him and picked him up. That's not true. He went there by himself and his friend drove him back home to Antioch where once he got in there, um, got home around 11 o'clock at night, he went to the police station, uh, in Antioch with his mother to turn himself in. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, subsequently has been released on uh, $2 million bail. Um, so he was in, um, uh, he, he, that happened um, late August, so August, you know, September, October, November, and uh, I believe it was late November. He was uh, he got out on bail. Uh, money was raised by a lot of pro Second Amendment rights organizations. Raised money for him to get out of bail. He's in an undisclosed location somewhere in this area, and um, his next court appearance is in March. There's even a trial. Um, uh, 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 jury selection for his trial is in late uh, March. So um, things are kind of moving a little bit fast for him. Um, but yeah, he's out of bond. Now, $2 million, uh, excuse my ignorance, but explain how this works. Uh, does that mean that he put up $200,000? You have to put 10% of the $2 million down, or do you have to put the. You put up, you put up $2 million. Um, so yeah, so the groups raised $2 million um, to get him out. That is some serious change. Yeah. Uh, and it suggests uh, what I said, and I'd like to hear you go into this a little bit, uh, that he's become sort of a folk hero. Uh, he does, yeah. Yeah, he's be, I mean, that happened minutes after it happened um, because obviously life moves very quickly now and <clears throat> things get on the internet right away. And so even that, starting that night, um, he was... I mean, he's pleading um, self-defense for these killings, and um, 
you have to look at this case in context of what was happening all summer. It's not an isolated case. Um, so all summer, there American cities, including Chicago, but not to the extent of other cities like Portland, um, there's been protests that have turned violent, um, clashes between different extremist groups on both 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 sides of the extreme, you know, the spectrum. And so uh, the images from Kenosha were similar to images that people had seen all summer and had already made up their mind about it. So the only kind of added thing to this story in the mind of many people was that somebody there um, shot some of these protesters. And so immediately he became sort of a, a folk hero, <clears throat> as you said, for the, for the far right and definitely a pariah for the far, far left. And uh, so my guess is that if this case comes to trial, uh, which I presume it will be, I presume they're not going to be a plea bargaining, but if this case comes to trial, then uh, Rittenhouse's lawyers will effectively uh, put the other side on trial. If you follow what I'm saying, no. yeah, that's definitely their their approach is really to litigate the people he shot and uh, the people who showed up um, on Tuesday, and um, to really portray them as anarchists, as um, <clears throat> you know, they're really kind of looking at the background of the people he shot, um, who the people he shot. Um, some of them had criminal records. Um, so it's, you know, he didn't shoot according to them, boy scouts, you know, he shot people who already, um, had sort of trouble pass according to them. And so it's really, um, uh, you know, they're, they're arguing that his life was in jeopardy and he had no other choice, but to kind of, uh, react, um, to threats for his life. Now, uh, something has uh, changed, I would say, in the public's image uh, of Kyle Rittenhouse over the last two months. Love to hear you address this. Uh, one of the first things we heard, and this was uh, reports coming from police officers, how upset he was when they first arrested him. Uh, he was like, I'm just going to be in jail for the rest of my life. He was obviously it was hitting him, the impact of the consequences he was facing. Uh, and recently we've seen reports in the newspaper that he was uh, out in a bar. And uh, uh, I think the t-shirt, I'm doing this from memory, free as fuck, I want to say was what the t-shirt right. said. That was one of them. And then he was also at another bar. Um, so he was, I don't know what, I think he just wore a regular, you know, I don't know, some t-shirt there, but you know, in January, um, he was at a, at a bar in uh, Wisconsin where he's caught on video and um, hanging around with people in the bar who happened to be, um, you know, we don't know whether they're prod boys or not, but they were doing that sort of okay salute. Um, and, um, and he was seen drinking a beer. And so right after that, um, you know, his, uh, the, the Kenosha district attorney um, added things to his uh, added added to his bond stipulation that he can't be hanging around with people who are alleged to be white supremacists or around alcohol. Um, and so he, um, that, you know, yeah, that came out and, um, uh, definitely showed sort of a different side of him. You got to remember this guy is, is a, uh, you know, he's a teenager, but also he, um, the people who are sort of, 
backing him up are these people you'd see in the bar. Um, I, I think his worldview is very small. I think his experience with all the stuff that's going around is very limited. So I think that you can maybe make the argument that he is sort of, um, you know, he's being embraced by a side of the world that um, he's just kind of going to, he's going with. And I don't think he knows much outside that little bubble. Um, another thing that kind of happened that came out was um, the Antioch Police Department in um, uh, this week just released videos of his um, interrogation in Antioch the night that the shooting happened. Um, and uh, so it's actually a glimpse into what his state of mind looked like literally hours, probably two hours after it happened. And those videos are available. And what those videos really show is somebody who um, was definitely knew that he knew that something was seem, seeming like he was trying to assess what really happened. He know he shot somebody, but he didn't seem to understand the implications of it. And his mother was sitting down with him at this interrogation table seemed to kind of understand it more than he did. Um, he was concerned about, you know, his phone, both their phones were blowing up because, and there's, um, the NA police department released, um, some of this evidence of, um, you know, they were being attacked over social media, you know, death threats were coming in. And so you see them on this video, seeing that reaction for the first time and kind of freaking out <clears throat> that like, um, his, there's a quote from his mother on the video saying, like, you know, people are going to see you as, as a white, people are going to see that you're, think that you're a white supremacist. And um, so, it, you know, so right after it happened, um, there's this uh, real, um, you're seeing like the wheels turning in their head of, of what, of how life was going to really change for them. They talk about how they can't go back to their house now and that kind of thing. Um so I think that actually is more of a uh, accurate or clearer picture into his mindset than those bar videos or bar photos, because, you know, those are just photos that pe people make in bars, you know, with, when they're drinking and having a fun time, whatever. But here, this is sort of an unvarnished look at um, him um, hours after it happened, you know, so there's no lawyers involved. There's, and he tells the police that, um, you know, he'd like to get a lawyer, but he'll, he's happy to talk with them before the lawyer sh shows up. But because he requests a lawyer, they have to stop talking to him. And so a lot of the videos are the police leaving the room and we just overhear the conversation between mom and son. <clears throat> yeah, it's a. Uh... It's a, a powerful stuff. I watched it uh, a little while ago, uh, that video of him. And again, I just want to point out, uh, this is video of Rittenhouse in police custody shortly after the shooting itself, when his future was very unclear, as opposed to where he stands now, uh, the recipient of accolades, financial donations, Hats on the back and bars, thumbs up. You know what I'm saying? It's a different world in many ways. Because Go ahead. we think about it, the people who are, um, you know, so 
there's a website out there that's been raising money for him um, just for living expenses for his family. They had to move out of their house and all of that. So they're actually being taken care of. And also their attorney fees are being taken care of. Um, and so if they didn't have that, they would be completely screwed. They would have, you know, they would have no, they would just go through a public defender and, and, you know, their lives would, would really be upended. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that, that we're going to see, uh, or that we did see evidence of him, like enjoying the company of people who were supporting him because without those people, they'd be pretty much in the street. Um, so that, that, I think that it's sort of this deal that they made right away because the people coming to their rescue were these groups that have a real agenda. I don't really think that Kyle Rittenhouse had a big agenda going into this other than he is a naive, stupid kid. Um, I don't think he was a part of a group. I don't really think he's a white supremacist or anything. I think he's a really stupid teenager who was fascinated by guns for whatever reason. Um, kids get really into guns and thought he was going to be a, 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 um, a tough guy or a patriot or whatever in his head he thought he was going to do to help, you know, the city of Kenosha from burning down. All that is totally wrong. But what happened there was that I think that then he was sort of co-opted by groups that did have sort of a long form agenda before he even came to the national, before he even came to the national stage. All right. Some of the other names I would love to get your thoughts on. Wendy Rittenhouse. That's his mother. And she, um, single mom in Antioch with three kids. She's two girls. She worked as a nursing home assistant in Lake, somewhere in Lake County. Um, she no longer does that. And the night it happened, she was working. She was working a double shift at the nursing home um, and the COVID unit of the nursing home. And uh, so since then, she has sort of emerged as the family spokesperson. She's been doing a lot of media. I interviewed her. Um, she's been on television and sort of her line is, that her son should never have been there. He should never have been, you know, if she knew it, she would have, you know, not allowed him to go, but that, you know, she supports the self-defense theory. Uh, and then there's the two men uh, who were killed, uh, Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber. Um, what can you tell us about that? So Joseph Rosenbaum is seen on video um, and he, he's seen on video. He's the one that, um, so he died first, more or less. And he was um, the person that especially the defense is really pointing to that he, um, that, that he was a real problem. He seemed provoking all of these um, guys who showed up with guns, um, saying things like, you know, why don't you shoot me? Why don't you shoot me? Um, he, um, uh, so there's really, it's, it's really uncertain why he was there. Um, what his, you know, um, what his background is. Um, but the defense has put together a video that shows him at this, uh, auto mechanic place, um, 
provoking uh, Rittenhouse and uh, somehow it ends up with him being shot. Um, so that's that's a Joseph Roman, uh, Rosenbaum. Gage, uh, not Gage, uh, Anthony Huber is his second victim. Anthony Huber is a younger guy who showed up who did have a history of going to protest. <laughs> And he was one of the people who ran after um, Kyle Rittenhouse after he shot Rosenbaum. He had a skateboard in his hand, and he is seen um, trying to stop uh, Rittenhouse with a skateboard. And so uh, the video shows him being shot uh, because he raises the skateboard up and he strikes um, uh, Rittenhouse on his left shoulder. So um, Gage, I do remember when that happened, you know, he was there with his girlfriend. Um, he was shot clean, shot through his head. Um, and he, um, I'm sorry, not through his head, Rosenbaum was through his head. Um, so somewhere through his chest cavity and he was dead right on the spot. Um, and yeah, those are the two. Uh, those are the two really the two victims. I'm sure we're going to hear a lot about them when the defense uh, mounts its case. Again, as I said, they're going to put the uh, the other side on trial. That's generally how uh, things work in these uh, trials. Dominic Black. Dominic Black is Kyle Rittenhouse's friend who bought the gun for him in, I think it was in April, and they went up north in Wisconsin uh, to some gun shop there. And so Dominic Black is facing a felony charge for buying a gun for a minor right now. And so he's going through his own court process. Um, he bought the gun for him, and he stored it at his stepfather's house in Kenosha. It was apparently in a gun safe, and somehow there's – and so the gun was taken out of the gun safe – the Tuesday of the of that that Tuesday morning by the stepfather with the idea that, you know, as it wasn't he, he wasn't the only one who thought that everyone in Kenosha thought, oh, my God, we're going to be taken over by all Antifa's Cummings. We have to arm ourselves because they're they already spent the night burning down our downtown. So we need to see what's happening. Somehow that gun got in the hands of Kyle Rittenhouse. And it's very unclear if Kyle Rittenhouse showed up and just took the gun without them knowing or if, uh, you know, they freely handed it to him. But Dominic Black is, um, the family supports, still supports him, and uh, but there's still some questions there about, um, you know, why did he buy the gun and um, how did Kyle Rittenhouse get the gun that day? When you say the family, you mean Dominic Black's own family supports him? No, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse's family supports him. Got it, got yeah. it, I got it. Yeah. Yeah, they don't blame him. They don't, the mother doesn't blame him for buying the gun or anything like that. Got it. All right. And then uh, we've been talking about the, the defense strategy that will be employed by Kyle Rittenhouse. That brings us to John Pierce. John Pierce is an attorney in Los Angeles who, the day after this happened, said on Twitter that he wanted to find Kyle and be his attorney. And he was his criminal attorney for a while. Um, but since then, um, his criminal attorney is a local guy in Racine, Wisconsin. And John Pierce is, is helping. Um, he will help 
pursue any civil cases. And um, he also helped, you know, sort of the the support network to develop a support network for the family, setting up a website to raise the money, um, setting helping get security for him. So in a way, he sort of become this kind of papa bear to Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, he's a really um, flamboyant sort of personality. Um, he's been involved with a lot of high profile cases um, associated with uh, Rudy Giuliani and. Tulsi Gabbard, um, and so he is sort of the um, sort of the go between uh, between everybody else and the Rittenhouse family. And you've dealt with them, correct? I have, yeah. I met him. I talk with him actually often for my stories, and um, he is just um, you know. Uh, you know, in, in his eyes that he's seen that, um, he, you know, that, that, uh, um, there, he, he sees defamation cases down the line because the, uh, you know, all the stuff about the white supremacy stuff came out after the shooting. And, um, and so they're probably going to plan a lot of lawsuits right afterwards to sort of fight those claims. Um, and, and, you know, so he's been kind of the lead instrument in sort of betraying Rittenhouse as the victim of this, of this whole situation. So there could be other suits uh, once. Well, that, that's presuming, of course, that Kyle Rittenhouse is acquitted. Right. Although he could, I mean, he could, um, you know, you could still have those suits even even if he was charged with anything. I mean, because the cases that they're going after want to go after are defamation suits of character. So, um, you know, I mean, calling somebody a white supremacist, you know, when, you know, if they're alleging he's not, you know, that sort of thing they could still go after. Um so, uh, yeah, I can see those cases definitely happening because also, you know, those are big money cases as well. It, it, you know, after this thing happened, I mean, it is kind of interesting how, at least to me, that, um, again, kind of this case happened sort of the tail end of a summer where this conversation was heated up already and um, cases, you know, both sides had leveraged um characterizations of the other side very cleanly. So almost every weekend there was a protest like this and, you know, unfortunately in every other city. And so in a way they kind of had a pattern. And so anybody on the right is a white supremacist and anybody on the left is an anarchist. And I think those definitions, that's really highly charged rhetoric that happened um, that happened right after Kenosha as well. And, um, uh, so there, you know, um, and you saw that happening from, uh, some of the media, you saw it online, you saw it, even people like, um, Mark, actor Mark Ruffalo is originally from Kenosha and he got involved in tweeting stuff and putting stuff out and they want to sue him. Um, so it's just sort of everybody, um, I feel like on both sides, everyone went to familiar talking points after this thing. And, um, you know, I don't know if it really helped the situation for either side. Now, and then there, there's another uh, name. I haven't seen associated with this case in a while. I don't know if this person has dropped out completely. Lynn Wood. Lynn Wood. Um, <laughs> Lynn Wood is a kind of a QAnon spouting attorney. I don't know where he's originally from. Um, I know, I think he's from Georgia and he was involved in a, he created a foundation early on to raise money uh, for, um, 
Rittenhouse. Um, since then, that foundation has broken away, and now that foundation is mainly used for Trump causes, and he's out of the Rittenhouse case. Um, I think there was friction between him and John Pierce. Um, and as this whole Rittenhouse thing was moving forward in the fall, Obviously, we know that the election of Trump was going on as well. The Trump campaign was headed towards an election. And Lynn Wood got really involved in that and started basically promoting this whole theory of, um, you know, the, the, election, the election was a fraud and all this other stuff. And so to separate all of that stuff from the Rittenhouse case, he went away um, and now is mostly known as sort of this very um, – I don't even know what you, I mean, eccentric seems like a nice term, but kind of like crazy town lawyer uh, for Trump and, uh, and, you know, sort of the QAnon sort of thing. I mean, it's, I, it's, it's, he serves an audience, but yeah, he's no longer really involved in this narrative anymore. I'm just uh, thinking about this while you were uh, talking, Mark. Uh, you're doing this writing for the Washington Post, and in the eyes of uh, many MAGA people, the Washington Post is, quote, unquote, the enemy. Donald Trump is, uh, such as I said, the press is the enemy. Uh, and so when you introduce yourself to some of these characters, do they come out, ah, oh, Jeff Bezos, ah, oh, the Washington Post, oh, you commie. Uh, do, do you get any of that? From, yeah, uh, I definitely get a lot of that. And, you know, I definitely get a lot of that. But actually, I get less of that than I just get from people just wanting to talk with me. I think that um, it's one thing I found, not just from this story, is that what's definitely true, people feel very emboldened and confident saying exactly what you just said um, online to their friends wherever, but when they actually meet somebody who's walking up to them and saying, hey, can I talk to you about something? What do you think about this? All of that goes away mostly because now they're just seeing someone like me or just another reporter and we're human beings and and they also want to tell they want to talk about what they saw and they want to basically, you know, um, bear witness to something. Um, so I think that a lot of that bravado really, really goes away when the abstract becomes real in front of them. But for sure, there's definitely, I think that Trump has done a great job in um, really making the lives of journalists. Um, I mean, we're under threat. I mean, there's no doubt we're under threat. It sounds kind of, maybe it sounds a little overdramatic, but I've definitely felt threatened as probably every journalist listening to this has. So um, yeah, no doubt that's out, that's out there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and now since uh, the Kenosha uh, riots uh, and the shootings, there's been a presidential election. And the last time we were on the show talking about this, it was all very raw. It was uh, very real. It was also very hot. So that, uh, you know, exacerbates things. Uh, and Donald Trump uh, was obviously, and, us, and several Illinois politicians as well, um, were obviously trying to use the uh, anger that uh, folks may have had or the fear that folks may have had about the rioting uh, in Kenosha to their advantage uh, in the Wisconsin presidential election. <clears throat> Biden won the state of Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, and that was a key state for Biden to win in terms of his electoral college triumph. So when you look at it in total now with the, you know, several months uh, have gone by and you have a little distance, uh, Mark, what do you think the impact of this rioting and the shooting was on the election itself? 
on a specific election. Um, uh, you know, I think that I think people are really fed up with the ugliness that they're seeing and the chaos that they're seeing. And I, I really believe it just did not work in Trump's favor whatsoever. So I think this was perceived similar to um, how Charlottesville was perceived. And even though they're very different in many ways, but the idea that stuff was happening on the streets of America that just hasn't happened before. And what's what's the X factor here? Donald Trump. And I think that I think ultimately the heightened um, chaos that happened, I think, is um, I just think voters are just really, really sick of. And I think this case all also really represents um uh, there are two realities going on in the world, and one is a reality that's on social media, and the other is just the reality of just people who are not on social media, more or, more or less. And I think that the reality on social media is much smaller than um, you know people who are quieter, not as engaged on, on you know you know on social media, and um, and I think those two realities are so different from each other. But the but the one that uh, the less charged one, I think, really showed up to vote. Uh, that's a pretty good analysis. And when you saw what happened on January 6th at the Capitol, obviously you weren't uh, in Washington then. Uh, did you see any parallels between what went down on January 6th at the Capitol with what happened in Kenosha? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, some of the people who showed up with the guns to protect Kenosha, protect in air quotes, um, I saw that sort of similar thing because there were people who showed up to protect. Well, they weren't really protecting the Capitol. I guess they thought they were protecting democracy. But there is this very strange thing of like um, people who are for guns. There's a segment of Second Amendment people. And, and I think it's really smart to remind ourselves it is a segment. And I think actually it's a small segment, but there was a segment of second amendment people who dress up like, you know, military who kind of peacock their, their gear and they want to be seen in public and they want to be, they want recognition in public. Those are the type of people who showed up in Kenosha. I think Kyle Rittenhouse was drawn into that. Um, and those are the people, a lot of the people who showed up at, um, the Capitol, you know, obviously the people at the Capitol had, had an agenda, you know, they wanted to break in and, you know, do a lot of nefarious things, but underlying it was this idea of like, um, showing up and just kind of this victimization, um, and that they feel like they have and their response to it is that they're going to go and I guess I could use no better word than peacocking their 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 military gear and it's a really strange thing that happened I think that's still a relatively new thing too I think gun owners generally have may have guns on them we don't see them or they may just have guns in their house because of intruders and I think we all kind of can understand that in some some way, but I think what's changed though, it's just these these men who kind of want to take out this really expensive equipment and just walk around and be recognized for it. Yeah, that's a that's also well put. I uh, so when when do you uh, sus suspect the trial will start? Well, um, he has jury. Um, let's see here. The jury is going to there's going to be a jury hearing in late March. 
And so, yeah, the jury selection starts in late March. That could maybe, there's a hearing before that, a week before uh, or 10 days before. So that could be pushed back. But, you know, so if that's in late March, I mean, it could be the summer as, as soon as the summer. Wow. Another uh, a summer trial. Uh, and uh, I know you'll probably be covering it. You, will you be covering the trial? I imagine I will. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, I mean, I, I mean, his, his side wants to move it out of Kenosha. Um, I can't imagine that's going to happen. Um, all of the protests in Kenosha happened in front of the Kenosha County Courthouse. And if you've been to Kenosha, it's a county courthouse. It's a small two-story historic building. It's kind of a cool building. You go in there and it's not like if you go to a county, like the Lake County Courthouse where he actually had a hearing um, because he was being held in Illinois and they, he was extradited to Wisconsin. That's a pretty, that's a very big courthouse and part of it's very modern. And so they have tons of security and um, the Kenosha County Courthouse is not that. The Kenosha County Courthouse is sort of like, you know, a little humble. Uh, it seems like, you know, kind of the courthouse you'd find in some rural community. So if it's there, I mean, I think that, um, like, for an example, he has, so he's been having hearings all since the fall, and he had one in, you know, January. Um, the hearings now are on Zoom, like most hearings are everywhere. Even though they're on Zoom, outside the Kenosha County Courthouse, those guys with guns show up to support him. Even though he's not in the courthouse, um, the day of his um, online hearings, they show up with their guns outside the courthouse to, you know, um, to show everybody that they're in support of him. So I can only imagine what's going to happen if his trial is there and uh, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty tricky. The scary. Yeah. I, uh, well, we have Congress people who th think they don't have to uh, take their weaponry uh, off their body when they go into the halls of Congress. Uh, so uh, you're absolutely correct when you say the peacocks are prowling uh, yeah. and they're really feeling proud of it. It's a really it's a psychological thing, I think. Is so I keep, keep thinking, you know, because obviously this was not the case before. And I must just go back to this kind of wild, wild west thing, obviously, where everybody had a gun on their on their holster, which, you know, that happens and concealed carry cases and okay the concealed carry states and okay you can think all right maybe i can even maybe accept that if it's under somebody's code but wisconsin is such a crazy state that they allow this open carry thing where i can just walk around holding my gun in the air and um and obviously it's the same case in Mich michigan because they did it there um that that's kind of the difference that it's emboldened these guys to kind of like take out everything and just it's like it's like, let's say I collect, um, I don't know, like, you know, let's say I collect something stupid like Pez containers. And so now I'm going to take all of my Pez containers and I'm going to walk around with them, with them to show everybody everything I have in my basement. It's the exact same thing with these guys. They collect guns and they collect other stuff like belts and and, you know, they have a lot of, like, tactical gear you just buy online. I mean, these are not, you know, it's something, you know, vests. And they want everyone to see it. 
Um, when I was in Kenosha, I was doing some reporting for the New York Times and I interviewed, uh, I was in the neighborhoods and I went to a, there's a cop bar, which actually was kind of a cool bar because it's kind of what you see on the Northwest side of Chicago. You see like house, 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 bar, house, 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 you know, it was a bar in the middle of a block, you know, it's very weird zoning. They all seem to be cop bars. Um, anyway, they're out of the way bars and, um, a, a guy on, cause I wanted to meet people who just, you know, um, what they felt about it. They were far away from downtown and across the street lived a guy who was in the, he was an Afghan war vet and he uh, now he installs like he's a lighting guy um, uh, for, uh, for some company in Illinois. So he drives to Illinois and everything. So he's a blue collar guy. Um, but he told me that the night it happened. Yeah. He took out his guns cause he didn't know what was going to happen. And yeah, he walked down a street once or twice to see is anybody coming but that was it and i said well why didn't you go down you know out of all these guys why wouldn't you go down like there's other guys went downtown with their guns and he was like i would never do that you know because those guys don't the people downtown don't respect guns you know and and he said you know if you're out there walking around the general public with your gun you have no idea what a gun can do um and that was from the you know, that was someone who had been spent a couple of years, you know, in Afghanistan and probably did some things. And I think that's kind of the difference now. It's like, yeah, there's guys who have guns who've been in the military and has, and, you know, uh, served in serving wars. I feel like those guys are the people who really understand that how silly it is and also how cowardly it is to go walk around peacocking your gun something bad is going to happen and guess what in kenosha it did it did yeah yeah uh, it's like the in a play when uh, the playwright has a scene where the gun is flashed you go uh-oh in the second act that gun is going to go off you watch right nothing good can come out of that gun uh all right uh, enough on kenosha for the time being let's close down by talking about the other side of mark arena's great writing career he also writes a lot about music and i urge everybody if they haven't already to check out the john prine interview it's really one of my favorite from last year we that was fun. two geeks taking the deep dive about a really great writer uh the great john prine uh so what's your latest uh, writing story uh for the reader yeah, so the thing for the reader um, this week, uh, I, uh, a musician in Chicago died. And, you know, Chicago is so, like many cities, has a lot of great musicians who have long, long careers, but they're not household names. They're guys in the bands. They're drummers, bassists, guitarists, whatever. And this was a drummer named Joe Camarillo and who had been in a lot of bands for about 30 years in Chicago, probably best known for being the drummer in the Waco brothers for the last 20 years and the Waco brothers, um, internationally known kind of, um, country rock band, punk band, um, with a, they made tons of records for bloodshot records. And, uh, Joe had been their drummer for about 20 something years. And, uh, you know, like a lot of musicians, you know, kind of had been sitting home for a year, um, had some underlying health conditions and had a stroke in early uh, January, actually the day, I think the, the day or the day before the storming of the Capitol and uh, never left the hospital, um, had, a, had a second stroke in the hospital and died. And what I noticed early this week, this outpouring of love for this guy all over the place. And um, it really struck me, you know, it just how um, 
sort of these unknown heroes out there who you know are credited for really kind of raising the bar of of whatever project they're part of and uh and and so i ended up writing his obituary and learned a lot about him and uh it's definitely, you know, the stories behind a lot of these musicians, musicians to me are really fascinating because these are people who are not necessarily doing it for the money, living sort of meager, um, you know, they're, they're, the income they're making from the music themselves is sort of meager, but they're more passionate about what they're doing than people I know who are making 50 million times more than they're making. And uh, so I found his story pretty moving. And uh, the outcry about his death also was is was particularly moving as well. Um, so there's a wait for him tomorrow. He's from the South Side uh, Harvey area. And, um, uh, yeah, I was really felt privileged to tell people more about him, but also for people who did know him to kind of get his story out there on the record. Well, Mark, in some ways you're a fortunate guy because you're, you have a great passion uh, for music, particularly country Western music and you get to write about it. So, I mean, the second best thing, I guess the best thing would be able to play it, uh, proficiently. Uh, and if you can't do that, then you get to write about it, go to concerts and, uh, well, I definitely can't write about it, or I can't play it, so I yeah. never can play it. That's for sure. So uh, yeah, no, it is. It is the next best thing for sure. I mean, I really, I've always admired musicians for many different reasons, and um, I feel like they don't get a lot of um, credit in our society. And even though they give a lot to society more than I think people even realize, um, and I think they've been screwed over by big tech in a major way that people just can't, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. And so their industry has been uh, depriving them from what they deserve uh, for their art. And so, um, yeah, I think uh, more attention on them, the better. Yeah. And on top of that, with the pandemic, yeah, uh, the live, the, uh, their bar business or their concert business is down. So uh, just one more reason. Can we get these vaccines out? I mean, come on now, uh, Mark, that's a whole pet peeve. I won't indulge you, but I've, uh, the Waco brothers would really appreciate where I'm at these days. I'm really struggling with the whole notion of why, uh, producing and distributing a vaccine has to be a capitalistic venture when we're talking about the safety and security of our country and our economy. If I could just get off my high horse from just get on that soapbox one more time, Mark, I'm like, I do not understand. I don't think anybody understands. I think I, what I don't understand is like, why? Like, so I think about, I covered Hurricane, Hurricane Katrina and everything was awful there until the military showed up. Um, in fact, the same, I think the same military general, they brought him out of retirement to yes. deal with, uh, would deal with the capital insurrection before the, before the inauguration. Why isn't the military just called up to like go, okay, you know, there's, there's, there's no better institution that understands the supply chain more than the military. Right. And so just get these guys out, get these, you know, start, start deploying them to basically do mass, uh, um, uh, you know, rolling this out just in a, in, a, in a mass way in parking lots at schools. I mean, I think it, it's just crazy that dribs and drabs. They said they told the teachers, the, right. "Don't worry, we'll get those start. We'll start with those vaccines sometime in mid February." Yeah. I mean, that's three weeks from the mid February. Mid February. Yeah. 
so anyway, uh, maybe by this summer, they'll have figured it out a way for the drug companies to make their money. Cause I think that's the number one priority here. They gotta make them poor musicians are getting ripped off by Spotify, but those drug companies. That's right. That's right. I know. Yeah. Just, uh, uh, at least, at least people are getting it for free. I keep thinking, like, I'm surprised we're not even charging us for it. Oh, you talk, I, oh don't give many ideas, Mark. Yeah, I know. I know, All, right. I know, I know. All right, Mark. Thank you so much, and I know I'm going to be uh, calling you back uh, for more updates as we get closer uh, to the trial. So great work for the Washington Post and my beloved reader. Thank hey, you very much, Mark. For having me. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right, that's great, Mark Reno. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.